Today, it's not only Lake of the Week Day, it's also Ask the Aquatic Biologist Day. Dr. Andy Hafes came in a little late this week. We talk zebra mussels, and Caleb Shavlik from the Park Rapids Area Fisheries Office has our Lakes of the Week. I got my fishing pole, keys, tackle box in my hand. Gonna cast a few lines with my toes in the sand. Pulling in a big catch makes me feel like a man. But the wife, she just don't understand. I love walleye, perch, trout, and bass. And if you don't like fishing, you can kiss my four-stroke right in the back. Because the fishes all tremble at the thought of me when I'm fishing. Paul Bunyan Country. It's time to ask the aquatic biologist, Dr. Andrew Hafes, about zebra mussels again. It's really <laughs> a lot of these questions. Anyway. Well, you know, and it's but it just keeps coming up. I mean, right. Another three or four lakes just in the last two weeks have been have they found zebra mussels in, including a mine pit where you're not even there's nobody boating in that. <laughs> so I mean, I don't know if it was on scuba gear or how it got in there, oh my but. Gosh. So it's 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 definitely an issue out there. Um, so we keep talking about it. We know they're in Bemidji now, um, and we know it's just getting started. Um, so long term, what can we expect as far as its effect on walleyes and other fish in Bemidji? Um, so I mean, as far as the research has shown to date, uh, it's been really difficult to show changes in growth rates or numbers of fish. In fact, one of the research papers I was reading recently said that in, I think, one of the lakes out near New York, perch growth rates actually increased after zebra mussels invaded. And they attributed that mm-hmm. to uh, the water clarity changes and the perch actually being able to see better and see their prey better. Oh, so if okay. You, I mean, it's just amazing at how many changes occur when those zebra mussels get into a system. That change of water clarity changes everything. Oh, absolutely. Right. I mean, yeah. Predation rates, how successful they are at actually attacking their prey. For the perch, which like light, right, it's great. For the walleye, it might shift their feeding uh, later in the evening. But, uh, you know, or they might have to move deeper. Um, so it takes a while for everybody to kind of respond to that. But as far as I have seen in terms of fish numbers and things like that, it's been really difficult to nail down changes in growth related to zebra mussels. Yeah. I know that, excuse me, I know that um, on Lake Winnie, that is a lake that um, seems to have seen the biggest changes so far um, in that that was a very muddy lake or and, and fish were, you know, in a certain spot at a certain time of year. Well, that water's cleared up. And those fish are deeper than they were, and they've moved to different spots now. And it's been quite an adjustment for anglers. It took them three, four years to figure it out. They're finding that there's still plenty of fish in there and, and plenty good sizes, but they're acting different. For sure. And you know, I've heard conversations about whether or not the sampling sites for the gillnet surveys should be changed or mm-hmm. not and how the catchability has been affected. Uh, so are the population estimates are they still accurate or not? I mean, so there's a lot of work being done on that, trying to make sure that everything is as tight as it can possibly be. Uh, so the, the DNR needs to adjust as well as the anglers along with this issue. Uh, but it seems like there's the fish have been really good about shifting things, right? And, yeah. Uh, maybe yeah. Ha- attacking different prey sources at different times. 
there's just so many ways that the fish can actually compensate for a change like this. I think we've talked about it in the show a little bit at other times where even if there's this pinch point early in their lifetime when they're supposed to be targeting zooplankton, right, and there's a die-off there, that could mean that more of them survive at the next stage in their life because there's fewer. Yeah. Right. And so it's just something as simple as that compensation that occurs can really offset the changes. More on zebra mussels with the aquatic biologist, Dr. Andy Hafes of Bemidji State, next. You're listening to Fish and Ball Bunyan Country, where all the cool kids hang out. And Kev Jackson, too. This is Fish and Paul Bunyan Country. We are once again asking the aquatic biologist about zebra mussels. Dr. Andy Hafes from Bemidji State joining me. And Andy, one of the things that happens on Lake Bemidji about, you know, in August is the algae bloom, which is celebrated by anglers because it, it allows a better than usual August bite that you won't find on other lakes because of that. I know zebra mussels love that stuff. Um, could that go away someday, that famous August algae bloom on Lake Bemidji? It could, yeah. Uh, they're really good about cleaning, clearing water up and eating things like that and just changing water clarity. And when that yeah. happens, greater water clarity uh, is going to reduce that for sure. And again, more than anything, and the immediate effect of that is it affects anglers um, because they can't do what they used to do and they got to figure out something new. I know Cass Lake, for example, all, always a clear lake. Now you can barely see the water at all. It's so clear. And it's you. it's got to be dark for you to catch walleyes right. on that lake now. That's interesting I mean, that you said the immediate effect is the anglers, and I was thinking that the first thing that would happen would be the fish would change their behavior. Well, yeah. But <laughs> that's a pretty big that's true. influence that's occurring. Imagine that <clears throat> being a perch or a little minnow, then you're used to be able to have these safe hours, and your world just changes, right? Right. Uh, we, they can happen pretty quick, too, these, these changes. So, and, and one of the things you always say to me when we have these kinds of conversations is we have no idea what it's going to be like 100 years from now. You know, yeah, we're how, longer. Yeah. yeah, we don't have a clue. Um, so what we're looking at windows of five to ten years, which, right. which we've experienced, and what we've found in those five to ten years generally is the fish are still healthy. Um, they're, they are behaving differently, which then affects the angler. Um, and But again – 20, 30, 40 years, who knows? Yeah, or even, like I said, 200, imagine yeah. that. Uh, you know, four or five generations down, what is it going to look like in northern Minnesota? That's a really, really interesting thing to think about in, in terms of the zebra mussels. And to this point, we don't have a clue how to get rid of them, although I do know the University of Minnesota made a big breakthrough this summer. They now have, um, what do they call it, track the genome or crack the genome? I haven't heard. No. Yeah, Crack yeah, the they, uh, they, yeah. So they know what genetically how what's going on in there. I don't know what that will mean, but it's a it's a first step, I guess. Sure. Yeah. Sure. People get pretty leery about genetic manipulation in actual ecosystems. So we'll see how that plays out going forward. Yeah. Well, like I say, the only thing they know that will uh, will kill. Um, 
Zebra mussels will also kill everything else in the lake. So, <laughs> yeah, I just saw a study recently that said it showed the substrates that the zebra mussels were on, and copper was on there, and there wasn't a single zebra mussel that wouldn't sit on copper. Really? <laughs> yeah. Everything, every other substrate that was on that list had at least ten zebra mussels that were colonizing the the substrate. Some of them had thousands, uh, but when you put a copper strip down on the bottom of the lake, nothing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> just like snails in your garden, I guess. There's something about it they don't. Oh. Like. So we might all have copper bottom lakes soon. We we don't think, at least in the short term, that there will be a reduction in fish. There will be a, in the short term, a change in fish behavior. That's what we're seeing now. But I, again, so it's a short term that we're in here. It's difficult to tease out. So I know there's been some changes in growth in some of our large lakes mm-hmm. that have been documented. But at the same time, there's zebra mussels, there's spiny water flea, there's a bunch of different sources going in, and which one's causing it? It's tough to tease that out. So. Yeah. I'm not hesitant to say that that's going to happen in all of our systems. It's possible that walleye growth rate does decrease in Lake Bemidji. We'll just have to see right. if they can alter their behavior like they have in other systems. If zebra mussels even become established like they have in some of the other systems, we'll see. Okay. I know that uh, and then that they're up in Red Lake as well now. And, uh, I heard that too. It's a much bigger lake. I don't know if that matters or not. but I think that that uh, how – mixed that that lake gets it might be buffered from some of the changes but we'll see talking zebra mussels yet again with dr andrew hafes aquatic biologist at bemidji state university heading back to the classroom soon andy thanks for your time today thank you up next it's lake of the weekday someday i won't go fishing of course i'll be dead this is fishing ball bunion country Fish and Paul Bunyan Country. Lake of the Weekday, Lake of the Weekday, Lake of the Weekday, Holy Cow! Well, today's Lake of the Week is actually Lakes of the Week. We're going to take a look at the bottle lakes in the Park Rapids area. Caleb Shavlik, the Assistant Supervisor out of the Area Office of Park Rapids, joining me. First of all, Caleb, thank you for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Upper and Lower Bottle Lakes, um, we took a look at that uh, several years ago. Um, one of the things I noticed as I was looking at the old survey, and you've got new numbers we're going to talk about, was it was a, a dramatic amount of walleyes in that lake. Yeah. That, that, back in 2013, we called it the historical number of walleyes in that particular lake. And just like Kevin said, and we have a new survey coming out. It was completed last summer, but should be on inside the fishing opener, and the numbers are very similar, but down a little bit, but still within a good range of a good walleye lake. All right. Um, yeah, because there was like 34 per gill net. I, I yeah. very seldom see numbers like that. Maybe Red Lake is the only other place I've seen numbers like that before. Yeah, yeah that is true. It, uh, that's a very high number that's very, very difficult to reproduce. So uh, what makes it such a good walleye water? It, this particular lake is more like a bowl-shaped lake and still has some good structures, which is plenty of spawning habitat in the lake for the water to pull off a good year class every once in a while. Um, yeah, you mentioned uh, structure. There seems to be a lot of structure in Upper uh, Bottle, and uh, and, I, and I really like uh, I like structure fishing myself, and I think it makes life a little more interesting. Yes, it does. There's actually a little sunken line out there, and that's where some of the fishing pressure occurred. But if you're willing to try to drop off and try to find a little suspended fish off the, off the weed edge, it's a good lake to try. 
And I'm taking a look, you know, I see plenty of northern pike in that lake as well. Um, I know, you know, we've done some changes to the uh, northern pike regulations to try to get uh, some bigger sizes maybe. Um, but this lake looks to be in pretty good shape with not bad sizes. Yeah, it's it, very good size. Also, with that new regulation, that zone regulation, Upper Barrel is actually a good lake to implement that regulation because you will have an opportunity to catch them um, 18, 19, 20, 22, 21 in Northern Pike that you can actually keep 10 of them. So. Um, and it looks like it's got some panfish and bass in there as well. Yep, it's actually a very, fairly good bass, livemouth bass lake, and you catch fish up to 12 to 17 inches with occasional smallmouth bass here and there. Okay. Um, it's a, it's a uh, again a well known lake. Uh, how is it as far as development goes? It it's a fairly developed lake. The upper bio had one resort on the north end, and uh, it quite a few houses along on both sides of the lake. So, does it get a lot of pressure? It actually gets a fair amount of pressure early in the season. In that end of May, early June could could be a good early season bite. But then there will be just a handful of people that try out throughout the summer in the evening, and you'll, you'll catch walleye here and there on this particular lake. Okay, so so it's one of those that uh, it, it strikes early. Yeah, it strikes early, and there's people that do it in September and October, too, just because there's a number of walleye out there, and, and you have an opportunity to catch some bigger ones later in the season. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about Lower Bottle. Um, any what differences and similarities of the two lakes? It's similar really, it's a good structure and a clear lake. What's unique about lower bottle is actually a very long point that you can actually fish on both sides of the point, but upper bottle does not have that very long point. That's where a lot of pressure occurs on the east of the, on both sides of that point, but you're still fishing that structure, jig and middle type thing, looking for the suspended fish off, just off the weed edge. Okay. Um, is there a public access on both lakes or just one of them? Actually, there's only one public, there's actually two, way, two ways to get on the lake. The one main public access is actually located on the upper bottom of the lake. And you, that's how you get down the lower through the channel between the two. But if you, if you use that access, you gotta either have a GPS unit or recognize some features along the shore because there's a lot of vegetation, how it's done bullrush, wild rice that you actually might get confused where actually you came, came out of. But if you actually have a smaller boat, you can actually launch into Emma Lake and go through a small creek to get up into lower bottle, but you've got to have a very small boat to do it. Okay. Um, what about the, the number of anglers on lower bottle? Is it uh, similar to upper bottle? Yeah, the number of anglers that fit, uh, both lakes are fairly similar. And some people might go down to lower bottle, try that. If they don't, if they don't fish or not buy in there, they try up to upper bottle because it's a little bit different type of structure up in upper bottle compared to lower bottle. Okay. And again, uh, good, good walleye numbers? Yeah, good walleye numbers. On both lower and upper, so. Okay. Anything significantly different between the two lakes as far as the fish populations go? It, it's really not. Most lakes are fairly similar in terms of good walleye, good small northern pike, if you want to utilize that new special regulation for northern pike that's been in for at least a year already. Both lakes have good livemouth bass and with the occasional smallmouth bass. And again, uh, you know, looking at the 2013 survey, those walleye numbers it looked like they were near record on lower bottle as well. Yep, that is true. It's new record back in 2013, but in 2018, we caught about 10.6 on lower bottom. That's very similar to a good wall lake and on the high end for that particular lake class. Okay, and again, I looking at the northern numbers, very similar, bass numbers, very similar. So, yeah, they, are, uh, they really are very similar bodies of water, but uh, it gives you plenty of acres to fish, that's for sure. 
Yeah, give plenty of acre, and then also person might be buying on one side of the lake or might not be buying on the other side, so you might have to travel around between the two lakes and try to find to see where the actual active fish for that day is. Okay. I'm assuming you get plenty of uh, boats going up and down that channel and maybe even stopping in the, in the lake between, too. Yeah, that is true. Okay. Boy, there, and yeah, a, a lot of structure in that lake as well. It's uh, <laughs> a lot of contour lines on the maps, that's for sure. Yeah, that that is true. It just like I said earlier, it's a big long point with a very steep drop off on the one side, and that's where a lot of people target. And they also target on the south side and the east side too. So okay. different types of structure, and but plenty of structure and various areas you can try. Um, you know, it's um, it's always fun. I I like when you have this opportunity to you know drop your boat in a in a body of water and you can go and and check out a few different things and. I see, you know, you can get down to Lake Emma as well. I mean, I, I, I just that to me is what makes Minnesota a great place to fish because you've got so many of those uh, little adventures you can go on. Yeah, that, that's true, the little adventures because everyone can't be everywhere. So you always will find some place you can get away from the people if that's your main objective for that day is to try, try to find your own little honey hole fish and have a good time while doing it. Well, they, they say it's close to Dorset. Can you give us uh, the directions on how to get to the public access and get on the water? Okay. If, if you're coming down from Bemidji, you probably hop on Highway 71, drive all the way down to Lake George. When you get in Lake George, head south on County Road 4 and drive about 10, 10 miles till you get to Emmaville. And you'll be turning on to County Road 24. If you go about four miles, and the public access to be on your right-hand side. If you actually get to a stop sign, you just miss the public access 20 yards back. Okay. All right. So fairly easy to find. Again, a pretty popular lake uh, and, and very effective lake. Anything on either one of those uh, two bodies of water that has uh, the DNR concerned right now? It, 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 nothing going on because there's no invasive species, but still very important. If you put your boat in, just pull the drain plug, drain the water out, and pull the vegetation off the lake so we don't transport anything. Otherwise, the water look good, and Northern Pike look good, and, and a good lake to try a largemouth bass and smallmouth bass. All right, and again, uh, walleyes tend to be very good early season and late season. Yeah, that is true. All right. Caleb Shavlik is the assistant supervisor out of the Park Rapids Area Fisheries Office, giving us the scoop on upper and lower bottle lakes, our lakes of the week. Caleb, as always, thanks for your time today. Okay, thank you very much.